0: From the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. Welcome to another episode of Life to Labyrinth podcast. We've made it to November, month 11 in 2020 of the Darkest
1: Timeline. (laughs) Stephen? You, like, feel- you can't just you can't just drop community on my head like that you gotta give me time to prep man um <laughs> pretty good i blows my mind it's november already this year's gone so fast like it's insane to think that kane was born like, in june like mm-hmm. that it feels like it was f- like five six weeks ago not <laughs> four months yeah
0: um, it and you and i and and we haven't seen each other in
1: like two and a half months yeah at least at least that, because we no, had actually, our, like, what's that? Have we have we seen each other since Kane? Because that's when I took Pat leave, and then we... Yeah, 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 we, yeah, we had our d group and stuff. But I was thinking we canceled d d the same time, but we didn't, it was a bit later. Yeah, we went a little bit
0: longer under the radar, because I was not working at the time, and I was supposed to be distant from you guys because there was an investigation which there's no need <laughs> yeah. to discuss but it's a secret <laughs> it's a secret it's all said and done now so who cares
1: but i'm no, doing pretty good prepping you know take some time off for family um, how about you
0: um yeah it's fine i mean we did halloween last night i've been working on editing our upcoming special episode which will have dropped by the time people are hearing this i hope they like it and yeah i mean i guess just settling into my new normal kind of getting back to both jobs and trying to find a new routine in the week with the kids and kind of see them through to the Christmas break onto the new year. I mean, I think, I don't know about you, but even though we're in Canada, the thing that's sort of on my mind more than anything right now is we're two days away from the U S election. Yep. Even though we're not American, it impacts our country in a big way. I know a lot of people who say like, You know, I don't follow U.S. politics for the same reason I don't follow Ethiopian politics. And I get that. And I understand where they're coming from. On the other hand, we don't share the world's largest unguarded border with Ethiopia. Most of our trade doesn't come from Ethiopia. so
1: Right. At the same time, I get it. Like, I I understand. But to me, there's no reason to be willfully ignorant of extremely important, like, world events. Because we live in a world that's super connected now. America, for us in Canada... Particularly so, because like you said, we share a border with them and it's a big ass border, but even political decisions and parties in power in England affect us in Italy and France, the way they shape the world as a whole affects us all. So it doesn't, it's never really seemed reasonable to me to just ignore all that. And especially in the case like this year with the American election, which I'll try not to tangent too much. It's a passionate subject for me. It's a very, very, very important election the results are going to have a catastrophic level of impact depending on who wins uh, one way or the other. So this is just a kind of time where we all need to be kind of aware of what's going on. And even if we can't help directly, it doesn't hurt to be informed because then you're not caught off guard by whatever comes next.
0: Yeah. And for those of you who are from the US and listen to our show, you know, we're thinking of you. And, you know, if you fall politically where Stephen and I kind of fall, then you're hoping for changes in your country with a new president and not necessarily getting back to the way things used to be, but hopefully moving forward in a really positive way and seeing a lot of change in your country. So we're thinking of you. And if you're one of our listeners who happens to want the current president to stay in power, I vehemently respect your opinion and I disagree with every fiber of my being. So, we're not thinking of all of you. I see you guys listening and Godspeed, I suppose. And it goes the way I would say the majority of the world
1: is hoping it's going to go. We are not running a political <laughs> Yeah, just podcast. You know, sometimes so. it's important. So, we're going to touch on it, but we will move on to the music.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, this week, because we recorded our special episode and Stephen is going away, so we're recording this one early. We chopped back the length of the album we listened to, and we have decided to listen to Labyrinth Sia Diplo present LSD. We were originally going to listen to a Sia album, but we found this. It was a bit shorter, so we could listen to it more in the shorter amount of time that we have. So for me, I hadn't heard it before. I have heard Sia before. I've heard some of her hits, of her Chandelier and Titanium. But I mostly know Sia from Zero Seven, and if you haven't listened to Zero Seven, you need to write that wrong in your life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to quietly write that down right now.
0: (laughs) The first song I heard of Zero Sevens was from Garden State soundtrack called In the Waiting Line, which Sia doesn't feature on, but she's all over a bunch of their stuff. She's a frequent, frequent collaborator of Zero Seven. We are going to do Zero Seven on the podcast When we first started writing out lists of albums that we wanted to kind of touch on, 07 is on my list. We will get there. I love it. But for now, we're listening to LSD, which came out last year. So before we started on the recording this episode, Stephen and I were discussing what we knew about these artists going in. And so I knew this about Sia. I know that she's got several albums out starting back in 2006 she you know has hidden her face for the last several years just to try and maintain anonymity when she goes out because she started getting famous or before she was a performer that was not famous i didn't know she was from australia i've learned that which i think is really cool and it means that yeah they're this is a super group which is what they call it i've i've kind of thought that this was this it's our first sort of concept album but it's also our first project it's not you know it's not a Uh, an artist we're reviewing so much as a project by three artists but i guess they're considering it a super group but i still consider this a project and i would say until we see a second album from them i would say this is like a project this is an experiment that they've done
1: yeah i think that's fair to say um so like brin said we kind of talked about it i knew sia the same way brin had a couple songs like unstoppable chandelier kind of the big hits that you hear on the radio but i knew i knew the style of music sia had and i knew kind of what she was famous for, and I, I knew her like iconic look. I did know she was Australian at least, but I was a pretty much the end of what I knew. <laughs> Diplo, I didn't realize I knew until we kind of started doing research for this episode, because I know Major Lazer. I just didn't realize that Major Lazer was a combo group with Diplo. Diplo and Switch is Major Lazer. So doing research, I learned Diplo's been, been around writing songs forever. He's been in several like collab groups, but he's written for like Snoop Dogg, Shakira, Beyonce, Bieber, Deont Chris Brown, Two Chains, Usher. Like, this goes on and on and on. Diplo's really been making a huge, huge impact behind the scenes as a producer. And we'll get into kind of how I felt about that on this album after. But yeah, so Diplo's been, and I couldn't even find the record of the first song. Diplo was credited with because Diplo started as like a DJ. But in 2004, Diplo worked with MIA, which was their first like big collab. And then he launched his uh, music label company, Mad Descent, in, I believe it was 2009. Then he he went on to work with uh, Switch for Major Lazer. Major Lazer is actually still putting out songs. I actually heard a song on the radio like two days ago from Major Mm. Lazer. The latest collab he did was with uh, Skrillex, actually, for a band called Jack U. And... I personally probably think that's really, really strong. I'm not huge into dubstep, but I think Skrillex definitely has a talent for it. But yeah, Jack JackU was the group that they worked with Bieber for the song, Where Are You Now? And that was actually Bieber's first Grammy, courtesy of Diplo and Skrillex. And then the newest thing they're doing is LSD, which like Bryn said, released early last year. And I think there seem to be hints on the internet that there's more coming, but I couldn't find anything conclusive from the actual artists. I think the only one neither of us really knew anything about was Labyrinth,
0: right? Well, I didn't really know anything about Diplo, and when I, you know, Googled him, I was just like, oh, he looks like the offspring of James McAvoy and Kid Rock's do-rag.
1: Oh my god, he does. It's so bad. That picture (laughs) is so unflattering.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm sure he's a very attractive man. There's certainly some pictures of him, but yeah, I was just, I was like, (laughs) 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 didn't we, did we, did we need another Kid Rock looking dude? But... He's obviously a very talented man. No, I knew nothing about either of them. I'd heard of Diplo. Like, I'd heard of the name. But the only person I knew of any, in any way, shape, or form of the three of them was Sia. And again, I've been largely removed from her career since she was in 07. Like, aside from what was on the radio when I sort of listened to the radio. Most of my experience of Chandelier is, I think, just my kids watching Gotcha Life videos where they listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so she's a fantastic singer, but I I got to mention like um did you did you notice that her voice seems like it it gives out at times? No, actually I got to say I didn't. Okay, maybe maybe it wasn't so much on this album. I know when I was listening to the album that we were originally going to do, which is the one with Chandelier on it, I think it's like A Thousand Fears or something like that. Yeah, that was years. We'll year swing so well. back to it another time, because it's a good album. I listened to it a couple of times through. It was good. It's it's definitely worth doing on the podcast. It sounds like she's got vocal polyps or something, because like, her voice will be really powerful, and then it'll just like drop off. And she didn't do that in 07 when it hurt her like when she was younger, so... She's been active and singing now long enough that it's quite possible that she's developed vocal polyps.
1: Yeah, maybe. Which would
0: just, like, stop your vocal cords from vibrating sometimes. Like, you can hear it in... Freddie Mercury had them at the end of his life. And you, in their later concerts, like in 86 and stuff, you can hear, like, when he tried to push his voice sometimes, it would just cut off on him or he would his voice would crack and stuff. It's because he had polyps on his cords and it's risky to get them removed. Julie Andrews tried to get them removed quite famously back in the nineties and then basically hasn't been able to sing since because it went sideways. But um, it sounds like she might have polyps or something, but it also could be vocal choices. And I'm not sure because you know, it's either she's developed this vocal style as part of her development as an artist in the same way that like Michael Jackson developed his hiccup. Yeah. But I don't know. It just, and just something I noticed mostly in headphones. Like I, I noticed that like it sounded like her voice was giving out at times, but it seems like if your voice was giving out, she'd go back for another take, but I don't know. I genuinely don't know, but it's just something I noticed.
1: Yeah. No, it's cool. It's cool. That you notice it cause I hadn't noticed at all. Actually I had a note. I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned which song it was on, but I had a note on my little pile here about how there was a couple times in the, in this album, actually I found the like length of the notes they were holding kind of indulgent just (laughs) just a little longer than they need to be to the point where like it would break me out of the song almost because it felt like it was interrupting the flow oh yeah so i would say if anything i kind of noticed the opposite problem but that might even be it it might be that that extra kind of drag at the end that i was hearing might be that almost like fall off you were thinking of maybe yeah i don't know it's just something
0: i noticed maybe something I'm going to listen to more if I listen to some more of her stuff, you know, just more of like an interest sake, or I might research yeah, just... it or look into it, but yeah, just, just something yeah. I noticed about her
1: voice, but she's been singing long enough that it's quite possible she's developed them. Yeah. And she's, she's really known for that extreme, like high note belting, yeah. uh, which is if not a causation, there is at least a correlation between that style of singing and development of polyps later in life. Mm-hmm. So moving on just a quick kind of, wouldn't be fair to not talk about it. I did. A bit of research on Labyrinth. Uh, He's only been around since 2009, actually. So relatively new. But in that time, um, I guess, like, I'd say Labyrinth's probably biggest success is that uh, he's the... He composed the score for the HBO series Euphoria that Zendaya is, like, the spearhead of. I think, essentially, Euphoria is essentially all of Zendaya's kind of little brainchild. And I know for a fact the Euphoria won a primetime Emmy for the soundtrack. So at the very least labyrinth has got an Emmy under his belt. Oh, yeah. Looks like he had a he first appeared as an uncredited guest on a British rapper's album in 2010. That single debuted at number 1 on the UK chart though and number 70 in Australia. After that, oh wow, he's actually worked with quite a few. So it looks like he's worked with Dizzy Rascal and James Corden, uh, and then 2010 to 2012, he he signed on with uh is it Psycho or Sicko? I always forget how it's pronounced. S Y C O I think it's Simon Cowell's record label. Okay. So, yeah, after the chart success with that, like, kind of uncredited single he was on, he actually was able to sign with Cowell's label and start writing and releasing his own music. Mm -hmm. But one thing I found interesting with Labyrinth is actually most of Labyrinth's success came as a producer before it came as a performer. Oh, yeah. So, a lot of his resume and track record is actually producing albums for. Not a ton of big names, not in the way that like Diplo was, but I know like Ed Sheeran had come up a couple times for his productions. I think he worked... Oh, he released... Yeah, his second single was also with Tinny Tempo, which was the British rapper he was uncredited with. And that was... debuted at two on the UK chart and first week sale of 115,000 copies. Wow. Yeah, so that... He started making dents with that. And then he he's been working on his second studio album since 2013 writing with Ed Sheeran, and then it looks like in 2016, wow, he worked with Mike Posner, mm-hmm. and Posner had that huge hit and then disappeared forever until he had another hit about how much it sucks to have a hit song and then fade away. Uh, I think Mike Posner is actually really talented. I think he's a really good producer. I just was a mm-hmm. huge fan of his music. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, apparently he, had, he performed a duet called To Be Human with Sia on the Wonder Woman soundtrack, and... It was Labyrinth and Sia, from what I could tell. It's hard to find anything concrete, but it looks like Labyrinth and Sia were collabing together, and then they sent an invite to Diplo, looking for a kind of a third voice. And uh, I think Labyrinth wanted a more hands-on experience. He wanted to be a more of a performer for the album, so yeah. I think they they brought Diplo in to do a lot of the like heavy producing on it. Though, if you look at the if you look at the stats for the album, it actually looks like Diplo and Labyrinth, they're credited as producers on every track. So oh, yeah. either way, like you had kind of said, I think it's more a project than a super group because we don't really know those involved. But looking at their like sales histories and their kind of track record in the industry, they're clearly a big deal behind the scenes. And it's kind of a shame looking at it that we don't see that as consumers. Mm-hmm. But saying that, I think they did pretty good work with this album. I wasn't sure what to expect kind of in any way coming into it. Just because, yeah, I only really had a passing knowledge of Sia and nothing on the other two beyond kind of name recognition at most. Okay, so
0: we sort of talked about changing a our format a little bit and uh, going song by song by song.
1: So where do you want to start? Well, I figured why don't we start with kind of just what's your like general impression of the album? Like positive, negative, you know, was there anything about it that kind of made it a highlight or took you out of the album? Like we, don't, we don't necessarily have to focus on, like say, favorite songs and least favorite right now, but maybe yeah. just kind of what a general vibe we got listening to them, how we felt when we listened to it. I liked it. I think it's kind of in
0: line with a lot of the music I listen to now a little bit. I've been listening to more DJ stuff. The last year, I've really gotten into stuff like Claptone. And I guess with the result of you know Diplo and Labyrinth on this album they're kind of going for that sound as well. I would say this is less sort of like classic Sia. This is more dance music. This is more sort of DJ music and sampling. And so overall, I think it it works. Overall, I think it works really well. I think Sia works well in this context. I think their voices don't necessarily go well together when they all sing together. I think Sia's a little bit next level to them, but I like the way that she's used in this a lot. Yeah, and I think you know if it's a project or it's a concept album, I think it flows well. I I, I got to be honest, I don't think there's anything in here that really hits the wrong way. I can say that I found the songs all quite catchy, some more than others. My kids knew some of them. I started playing them, and like my daughters in the back singing along. I know that Renee likes this album a lot, so I think this album, having come out early last year, and we're now late 2020. This album has got a lot more staying power, I think, than some other pop music generally does. But yeah, I think overall I liked it. It wasn't a negative listening experience for me in the way that some of our others have been a bit more of a a challenge to get through. I'm glad having listened to now our third album in like two weeks that it was short. I don't think I'd want any more of it. (laughs) It has a lot of songs for 30 minutes. I'll say that.
1: Yeah, 10 tracks is quite a lot.
0: Yeah, so which is nice because, you know, they're all like two or three minutes. Then we're not getting into five and six minute like songs and stuff. So they're nice little neat little packages of around, you know, most of them are around the three minute mark. I think it's fun. I think it's a fun listening experience. It's good. You know, in, in Edmonton, you can kind of get anywhere in half an hour.
1: So you can put this album on, listen to the whole thing on the way to somewhere. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll say, honestly, for me, it's not... I wouldn't go so far as to say it was a negative listening experience for me, but I did still think it was like for me personally, kind of a weak album. There are a couple things I really like, like you said. I think the pacing and the flow of the album is really well done. I think the level of production on it is extremely refined because uh, it's definitely like right. It's a club. It's a club album. It's a it's a dance dance track album. Um, so if you go in kind of expecting that, I think it's a really well made product. Yeah. I felt there were times where like I just kind of hit a wall, assuming the album, like there were just tracks that as much as there were a couple tracks, I absolutely loved. There were a few that I just had such a hard time getting through kind of on a And even with where you said like the, almost the like vocal disparity between Sia and Labyrinth, a lot of the tracks to me, my note actually was that it almost felt a bit Sia heavy. And I don't, I don't know if that's intentional or if it's just, you're putting a, a vocal powerhouse like Sia, who's been doing it forever now up against Labyrinth, who's really only got five, six solid years of doing vocal work on tracks. Yeah, and I, th- I think you can pretty kind of clearly tell the difference. I don't want to say skill level, because that seems like derivative. I actually really, really loved Labyrinth's vocal work. It was part yeah. of the standout for me. I don't know. I think it's, it's part of his flow. Part of it is his, his little bit of an accent he's got. But I also just love the sound of his voice. Uh, it just felt to me like there was a bit too much Sia as far as how much each got singing time. Sure. Um, But other than that, it was overall a relatively positive experience. Like you said, it being 30 minutes is really nice. Even the songs I wasn't a fan of, I knew if I hit skip, the next song was going to be one I liked. And yeah, yeah, there wasn't any point where I was like, Oh, this is a bad song. I can't do it. There were just some tracks where I was like, eh, I would skip this if it came on. Like if I wasn't listening to it for this podcast, I probably wouldn't have given it the full three minutes. Right. Right. But even that, keeping the length of all of the tracks short, really, really cool. I like, especially on almost like a high concept or like a group album like this. I think that's a really smart idea because it yeah. having 10 tracks kind of lets them play with the sound a little bit. And I think you hear the influences from all the different artists in there. You have some big vocal numbers from Sia. You've got some like low Quick little rap tracks from Labyrinth. Um, and then you get those big punchy dance sound moments from Diplos production. Yeah. I think overall it's a very it's a very good album. I for sure would listen again. There's just a couple tracks I might hit skip on. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, totally. I think everybody involves clearly talented, clearly knew what they were doing. And if they are producing another album, like if there is another album in the works, I a hundred percent will listen to it because I expect that whatever sound they put on this next one is going to be just as good.
0: Yeah, I would think so. And at this point, my my only concern performance-wise would be just Sia. Like I say, it does sound like her voice is starting to show its age. She's been going since 1990. This is a woman who's most of the way to 50. Yeah, we,
1: it doesn't seem like it, but she's a solid three decades in at this point. It's yeah. kind of reasonable that her voice might either have a distinct style we're not used to hearing or be experiencing some sort of like drop-off or kind of long-term damage of it. Yeah. While you were
0: kind of chatting there at the beginning, I did a quick lookup of Sia vocal polyps and there was a couple of posts about watching her sing live and watching like the way she manipulates her neck and throat and stuff. And yeah, although nobody's talking about whether or not she has vocal nodules or vocal polyps or anything like that, there's definitely people who have identified that she has a very poor singing style, which I think is maybe part of it. So, yeah. but I mean, as long as she's sticking in the studio, she can take it as many takes as she wants. Yeah. I mean, she's just trying to maintain her youthful voice. And at some point, age and your body changing and your vocal cords kind of relaxing as you get older, your voice naturally warms and lowers. And that really changes, especially it seems most like a lot of women. It'll really change their vocal range, and they almost have to kind of learn how to sing again. And it can be minor, or it can be quite present, or pronounced, I should say. It can be quite pronounced. And one of the people I would reference is someone that you can view as someone who largely didn't push her voice a whole lot, but has had to sort of dial it back into a smaller box of vocal range, is Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks has gone from probably, I'd say she probably had maybe two octaves when she was young and she could really, and she could push her voice. Like when she did the end of Rhiannon and stuff, she'd be kind of stomping away and kind of using like vocal distortion and stuff like that, going up a little bit higher, even though she was a very low registered singer as it was, I forget what it's called, but she, Stevie Nicks had the vocal range that is the lowest natural range for a woman and so oh, wow. I forget I forget what it's called. It's not tenor. It's it's somewhere between tenor and alto. But um, but if you listen to her sing now, she dodges what for her at the time were sort of higher notes. And so she sings very, you know, she's in a very little box. She's still maintained quite a lot of her vocal power, but her vocal range is really gone. And she's someone that didn't have much to begin with anyway. And I think yeah. Sia is trying to push herself to maintain her youthful high belting voice and she's keeping it, but she's also probably never had to work in the, in the way that she does now. Like since 2015, when she got, when she broke through, or I guess it would have been 2013 when she broke through with thousand forms of fear, when Chandelier came out, she went from someone who featured and was a working vocalist musician who, you know, would do some tours and stuff probably and do shows here and there to someone who's now an A-list celebrity pop singer and the demands on her to perform at that point would have gone through the roof.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So I would say she you know for 25 years of her career between 1990 and 20, you know, 2013, between those years she was probably very much in control of what was going on in her musical career and how often she was touring and how much work she was doing and the amount of rest she could give her voice. And then all of a sudden in 2014, she broke through as a solo recording artist with her sixth studio album, 10,000 Forms of Fear, which debuted at number one with Chandelier. And all of a sudden now she's on every talk show, probably performing Chandelier, which is a big song. So it's not like, you know, she was having to push her voice a lot. So I don't want to get too deep into my vocal analysis of Sia because I'm not a vocal <laughs> coach or a vocal singer, or I should say a vocal coach. <laughs> or a vocal teacher or a vocal analyst or anything like that. It's just something I enjoy learning about. And so I've started listening with different ears to pe- the way people sing. The more I learn about proper vocal technique. So anyway, but yeah, um, I would hope that they put out another album. I think it, this one was really good. I would hope that their next album is about the same length. I definitely don't have much interest in listening to a 75 minute album of theirs oh god
1: (laughs) i mean i would do it but i wouldn't i wouldn't be happy about it
0: yeah i think kind of this sort of many song ep 30 to 40 minutes i think is kind of it works for them i think it i think i think it's enough because by the end there's not really a whole lot of vocal or not vocal there's not a whole lot of musical difference between one song and another as much as some are slower and some are a little bit more emotional or one or the other of them takes more of a lead vocal presence on it. or it's more, like you say, of a of a DJ producer performance. I think they're never gonna they're not gonna have that like country song in the middle or they're not gonna be really yeah. going for, you know a, a real proper songbird like we would call it, right. Like they're not gonna try and drop you out of it. To go really, really to the left,
1: yeah. Um, actually, that's a pretty good segue because I realized I made a mistake earlier. I said Diplo's label was called Mad Descent, it's not, it's Mad Decent, okay, which I actually think is a way better name. I don't know why looking at it, it's just making me smile. It's just just Mad Decent, <laughs> and actually, so I the reason I think the kind of overall sound of the album has a lot to do with Diplo is because, um, with Mad Decent, Diplo's been pushing introducing a type of brazilian funk music i can't pronounce the this word but i know it's also called funk carico and favela funk yeah and it's it's a type of like it's a mix of brazilian i know it's derived from like gangster rap like 90s gangsta with an a rap mm-hmm. and deep bass like bass music sorry yeah. not bass this <laughs> <Just> <laughs> so i think finishing. that like Right, I'm not even looking at the word. My brain just was like, "Nope, that's how it's you pronounced." You one of those hats that says, "I'd rather be fishing." <laughs> yeah, so it's a mix. It's a mix of that like Brazilian funk and a type of Angolan dance music called Kuduro. And I think that very this album has a very unique sound to what would normally just be your kind of typical electronica element. I wouldn't have ha- ever found the words to describe it. All I can say is, go listen. There's just a very specific way that the the electronic component sounds throughout this album. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling that's a very strong, like Diplo input. Like I imagine he's using the opportunity to keep, keep pushing those kind of newly developed or lesser known types of dance music, yeah. which I mad respect for. I think that's really cool. And actually one thing I learned, which <laughs> I didn't realize is that, um, one of the people signed to his label is the artist Bauer. I hope that's maybe be Ba-er. It's two A's and I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's the it's the artist who released Harlem Shake, which I'm sure everybody from, remembers from five, six years ago mm-hmm. was just the entire Internet for like three straight months. And then also firefighters and cops for some reason. <laughs> I digress. So, yeah, actually, apparently Mad Decent is the label that Harlem Shake got produced on. <laughs> so if nothing else, clearly they know how to produce a catchy song. Yeah, And yeah, I just, I really liked that it's got that. It felt familiar enough as Electronica, like even tracing its roots to like Daft Punk or The Sign, but having a more modern feel to it. I think it it's blended really well with, with tracks that have deeper, slower tracks, which you wouldn't normally see as a combination. So I thought that was a really cool it was a cool way to kind of spin the genre and give us something a little bit unexpected from it. Mm -hmm. I would hope if they were to do another album, it would be a different, I would, I would love if they stuck to that same kind of overall theme of sound, but made it a different sound. Okay. Um, If they were to put out another 10 tracks with the same type of, say it is that kind of Brazilian funk electronica. I don't, because like you said it, it, by the time you get to the end of this album, it all kind of sounds the same. Each track is distinct in like lyrical value and tempo but its overall sound doesn't change a ton yeah and it's just a really good thing that overall sound is a good one and it's very pleasant and positive but i think a second album of the same sound would just for me be way too much
0: yeah i would agree um yeah i think it works here i'd be very i i think it would need to change somewhat or you just end up sort of like skrillex where skrillex was super popular for a sound and then it didn't change it's just like well literally every album is the same listening experience. So why bother? Yeah, exactly.
1: That's that's a really good analogy. Um, So, so right. I'm not faulting them for it on this one, but I, I hope we don't see more of the same in the future because I think a big part of the power to this album and the strength of their talent is that they delivered something familiar enough to be fun and engageable, but also different. Like I, I couldn't personally find or think of another album or another artist that produced a sound quite like this one. Yeah, and I really like discovering new types of music. That's one of my favorite things. It's part of why I really loved the this concept of a podcast with you mm-hmm. was finding new sounds that I didn't realize I liked. It just also happens that this is the kind of sound I would grow tired of quite quick. Like I said, thirty minutes is almost like the perfect album length for this for me. Yeah, I think even forty five, say to an like an hour would be pushing it. Yeah, <laughs> and part of that is because like. Say four, four to six months ago, I really, really heavily got into electro swing. And that just became my favorite type of electronica. That remix of old 50s sounds through electric instruments and electric production. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things. The band Caravan Palace, go check them out. Coolest shit ever. I love their sound. All right. It's so good. And it, it was really hard for me to break that into other types of electronic music like I stopped listening to Daft Punk for a couple months because I loved electro swing so much so this is the kind of the first time in a long time where I've taken the chance to listen to a new type of electronica and really enjoyed it I do listen to original swing music as well that's how I found electro swing was that Spotify once I kind of was listening to the same six or seven swing albums over and over (laughs) again uh, was like, hey, try something new. Try this. <laughs> Please stop listening to Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. <laughs> right? Stop blowing out the numbers on songs no one listens to. <laughs> and they gave me a Caravan Palace track in one of my, like, release radar playlists. And I, just, I instantly fell in love with it. So, like, Caravan Palace does, like, the big band, you know, the trumpets, the huge brass sections, but it's all modernized and has that, like, electronica production value to it like it's it's produced through like almost like a mesh of electronica at the end and i just i think it's a really cool really unique sound i think it's a really it's a really awesome way to reinvent swing and bring it to like the modern generation or the modern music goer as it were Mm -hmm. and i was i was really impressed with this like i just i really loved the sound even though i couldn't find a, a way to really put it to words I loved the sound of this album. Even for the tracks I wasn't a huge fan of, I think it just has a overall very pleasant sound. Yeah, I'll agree. <laughs> the musicality is just very very good.
0: Yeah, and uh, like these songs are heavily listened to and uh, but I think for me the biggest takeaway I think and there's songs I like. Like I really like Genius, I really like Thunderclouds. I think Mountains is good. It's Time I think really sort of is probably the song you're talking about Sia holding the notes too long and probably the song I'm talking about in terms of it starting to show her vocal limitations developing but yeah it definitely is <laughs> <laughs> I find that there wasn't a song that kicked me out of this album but there was moments where like the opening the very very like first two bars of genius sound exactly like the show must go on by Queen and I was just like oh now I want to listen to that song whatever genius became and it's decent I was just like oh No, I just want to hear, like, I was expecting to hear this Queen song, which is, like, their last big statement as a group with Freddie Mercury. And Yeah, fair enough. this is sort of song three (laughs) on this (laughs) album. So, I don't know. I find stuff like that. But, like, I thought Thunderclouds was really good. Mountains, I thought, was really good. I would say probably those are the two songs on this album that are going to end up on my playlist, I would say. but uh, Uh,
1: Yeah, actually, I totally agree. Like, Genius is actually what... We'll just get into it. A genius is what I listed as my favorite. I love I love the tempo. I love the lyrics. I love Labyrinth's, like... That almost, like, slow rap that it kicks off with, I really, 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 really dig. Are you talking about... You're talking about the one that does not feature Lil Wayne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. The original, not the remix. Okay.
0: Because, um, yeah, just, just to jump back for a second, there are ten songs on this album, but number ten is just Genius, but it's a Lil Wayne remix. So it's not a different and song.
1: It, yeah, it honestly... I didn't listen to them back to back. Honestly, I really should have, but to me, I, it almost feels like the back, say half or back two thirds of the song is exactly the same. Mm. There's just a little Wayne segment in the beginning instead. <laughs> <It> just yells <laughs> and, for a while. And then the rest of the song the, plays The beats very different for that segment, yeah. but then it kind of starts sounding like the exact same song when C's vocals kick in. Mm-hmm. So yes, I am. I'm talking about track three genius, the original. Yeah. I just, I really love that track. I thought it was like, it was a really good showcase of Labyrinth's talents. Which honestly, my one big takeaway from this is I'm gonna be listening to more Labyrinth. I love his voice. Uh, I love the the tempo he carries. At least in this album, I feel like I'm gonna be a really big fan of his style of rap. So I'm going to be listening to a shit ton more Labyrinth once this is over. Well, hey,
0: man, if you want to listen to one of his albums for next week to kind of keep this party going, then that's cool with me.
1: Maybe, but there's one I want to listen to first. All right. (laughs) Because I did consider that and was like, maybe I should just tack it on and be like, hey, let's do Labyrinth next. But there's another album I really want to do. All right. We'll talk about that. All right. (laughs) So Genius was a favorite of mine. I'd say probably strongest track, but I, I really liked audio too. And I think those were the only say two I really really stood out to me yeah. the rest were good the only ones that I really didn't like were like, it's time I just couldn't do it I did find my note and that is the note I wrote felt very sea heavy like notes felt indulgent was literally the phrase I used and there's quite a few times in it's time that you get those crazy crazy high notes which well I respect from a consumer point of view and as a performer talent mm-hmm. thing just I they got grading by the end of the song like It's just high pitches are one thing I don't do a lot of. Okay. Just not the sound for me. And a lot of that obviously comes from what I listened to growing up. There's not a lot of high pitched vocals in the shit I grew up listening to. (laughs) No doubt. So it's just, right. It just kind of, that breaks the flow for me a lot. It's like, Ooh, ow. Okay. Let's go break glass somewhere else. And while I find it impressive, it's just not a sound I enjoy. So it's time. I'll straight up say it was the weakest track on this for me. Not because it's a bad track, just because it wasn't the sound I liked. Yeah, that's um, no, fine. But yeah, like, Genius is an incredible song. Audios is good. Mountains is good. Even if I think Mountains starts a little slow. Mountains reminds
0: honestly. me, I gotta be honest, Mountains reminds me of When the Party's Over by Billie Eilish, speaking of people who have high voices, high notes, <laughs> that maybe yeah. is not your jam. <laughs> um, I don't mind it, it but... To do a lot of yeah, I don't really either, but I think she's someone that I think I wanted to dismiss... I knew nothing of her before bad guy and I'm sure we'll cover on the podcast. I think she's an interesting artist. And I think now that she's she got a few albums in, she's become a really big star. She's she's sort of globally known now. She's not sort of, you know, Instagram known with young girls and stuff. But as someone that has two young girls, I'm now becoming more exposed to this kind of stuff kind of organically just because they listen to a lot of music at home. They just like to watch gotcha videos on YouTube. And I'm hearing a lot of these pop songs. And I'm trying to sort of also change my attitude because I realized that growing up as a guy, there's this big sort of social stigma against things that girls like and things that young girls like. And I remember that. I remember when the Spice Girls came out and it was just nobody liked them because they were girls. And nobody liked them because girls liked them. And now I have two daughters. And it's like I had a, myself as well as most of society has to get over this attitude of what little girls like is garbage. Because a lot of it's actually pretty good. And y- young women are probably the biggest market that's targeted. So it's it's sort of interesting. I was listening to another podcast recently and they were sort of touching on this where they mentioned that it's sort of this juxtaposition where things that young girls like are heavily marketed And they're heavily marketed to as a demographic, but then simultaneously society shits on them for what they
1: like. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a kind of an important little thing to just touch on is that, right, we have a lot of really shitty ideas beat into our heads by society and by usually well-meaning parents and peer groups. And one of the hardest things to do is to break yourself of that type of conditioning. And actually, like, that's been almost like my personal goal the last couple of years is to slowly push through all those shitty little barriers I've had in my brain for so long. I don't realize they're there. So like pop music, I didn't listen to pop music for a solid 10 years because I listened to punk rock and there was always that, that social pressure of, Oh, if you like punk and you like hardcore, like rap, you can't like pop music. It's just those things don't mix. And honestly, there's a lot of really good fucking pop music out there that I missed for a long time because I was being a stubborn asshole. So totally. Totally. I think it's it's important that we take the opportunity to be like, hey, sometimes you need to just sit down, take a breath, and examine yourself. It's going to suck because you're going to realize there's parts of yourself that aren't great. But once you get through those and work on improving, man, the world's going to open up. I avoided D&D for probably the same amount of time I avoided pop because I was this counterculture punk rock kid in ripped up jeans and steel-toed boots. So why would I be sitting around a table with a bunch of nerds playing D&D? Let me tell you, as you've seen, D&D's my shit. Yeah, I love me that game. you, friends. So goddamn much. <laughs> like, tabletops Steven is like a cool. pressure man when it comes to D&D now. Oh, yeah. Dude, like, I've written, I've spent hundreds of hours at this point writing, like, story details and lore for games I'll never play. And for, like, Tabletops, I don't own. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out, I denied myself what is arguably my favorite thing in the world. For like a solid 10 to 15 years, because I wasn't a nerd and I didn't fit in that group. But man, branch out.
0: <laughs> I was the same. Like, I didn't want to know Harry Potter because my little sister liked Harry Potter when it came out. I was like, oh, that's like little girls and kids like that. And mm-hmm. Harry Potter's great. It's it not, do. you know, we discussed it, I think, in one of the last couple of podcasts. We discussed you liked Harry Potter, but I liked Star Wars. I still like Star Wars better than Harry Potter. But I think Harry Potter's great. My oldest daughter is reading through all the Harry Potter books with her mom. And then we're so, sort of subsequently watching the movies. And it's great. It's a great sort of magic world and stuff. And But it's just sort of having to sort of look inward at yourself where you have to, you know, I had to admit to myself, the reason I never watched Harry Potter is because my little sister liked it. Not because it was bad. Not because anybody told me it was bad. Not because anybody said anything one way or the other. I just saw a My sister had the books. I didn't want to like what my sister liked. I didn't like Harry Potter. And I find for pop music and stuff like, you know, rap music, I'm sort of really guilty about that as well, because there's a lot of rap music that I don't want to know about. I think the difference is is that I've been exposed to a lot more of it. And I think it's just my taste. (laughs) But
1: yeah, of course, that's going to happen. Like, not everything out there is for everybody. But it's, I think, yeah, it's, it's a really good kind of like personal exercise to take the time and think, hey do I not like this because it's not the right style for me? Or do I not like this because a bunch of people or my own brain told me I shouldn't and therefore can't.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I found, you know, mountain sort of reminded me of the Billy Eilish song and then genius kind of sounded like <laughs> the show must go on when they started. <laughs> but I think, you know, I got to enjoy this album more because my kids liked it. They weren't telling me to turn it off. They weren't like, what's this? which they have been with some of the other stuff we've listened to. So I didn't have to worry about them kind of bitching for lack of a better term about what I was listening to in the car. Like I put on thunderclouds and my daughter's singing along in the back. They're happy as a clam because I'm listening to music that they like. And it was cool to find that sort of common ground with them because as a dad, you can be like, you know, cool dad or grumpy dad, but in terms of like what you like and stuff, like you're sort of, a little bit separated from your daughters a little bit to try and find that common ground. Cause they want to like play dolls and they, they like different things inherently because they're, they're girls and they're sort of being raised in a world where women or girls are sort of given different toys or they're pushed, you know, princess culture sort of pushed on them and stuff like that. And as much as we never did that in the home, you know, my, I remember when Elliot was very, very young, we didn't really do the princess thing with her. And, you know, she, she, didn't know any of them and then she went to daycare for the first time and all of a sudden her favorite princess was all of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so and as someone with two boys like it's not something that unless you have more children and you know one or some of them happen to be girls that is it's not going to be part of your life necessarily and but it's it's a it's a separation that you sort of feel as a dad where you want to relate to them and and find some enjoyment and stuff that they like. So this was cool for me in that because I was getting something out of it, but I was also able to see them enjoying it and enjoy it through them. And then we could listen to music together as opposed to them asking me for something that I didn't particularly want to listen to. And so I was putting it on for them or I was putting something on and they didn't want to listen to it, but they realized that maybe today's not the day to tell dad that you want to listen to something else. Like we actually could enjoy this together, which was neat. And I really liked that. So,
1: yes, that's really awesome. I'm really glad you had that. So like you kind of touched on, I, right. One of my boys is four months old. There's there's no really opportunity for disconnect there yet. But with John, I I experienced it in a different way because I'm <laughs> shocked to know one. I'm sure. Extremely introverted, right? Like I spent most of my life completely content with having a very small group of people I talked to. I would rather spend most of my days like playing video games, reading books. I just social interaction exhausts me really quick. Like uh-huh. the analogy I've always used, right? Like I've said it to, you know, a therapist when I had one um, and I use it with both John and Danielle is that I have like, say a well of empathy inside me that I can, I can pull water out of only so many times a day to, to truly sympathize and understand. Yeah, And at some point that well runs dry and I just, unfortunately Once it's dry, there's, I can't fake it. And that's not technically true. I faked it for a long, long time because that's just how you survive. in, especially in school, you just pretend that you're like everyone else, right? We all did it. But as an adult, I still do it. (laughs) Yeah. So as an adult, I'm learning to just not do that anymore. When I've had enough, I'll tell people like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I just, I need a break. This has been, it's been too much. It's been a good time, but I'm overwhelmed. And my, I'm out. My well's dry. Well, that um,
0: speaks to the big
1: full-bodied
0: sigh that you that I hear you do every time we end recording. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah, okay, upset with me? Things? It's like, oh, no, you're just, just as introverted as I am. And it's like, oh, I made it through that conversation. All right. Yeah, so like... <laughs> Can I go, go be quiet this now?
1: <laughs> this podcast has been like a weird experience for me because being this like outgoing and loud and just even talking this much... I talk more in our podcast than I probably do most of my days. Yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy talking about like music in particular, because that's a subject I'm passionate about. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. By the time we're done recording, my brain's like, all right, we got to, let's shut down. We're, we're we're running emergency power here and the generator's dying. <laughs> 100%. Yeah,
0: I can um, relate completely to that. I'm, so I'm John- 100% an introvert. Yeah, but
1: yeah, John, go ahead. John, on the other hand... Yeah, sorry, just before I... No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. John, on the other hand, gets a lot of his personality from his mom. And John's mom is extremely extroverted. John is... John is high energy, big volume, constant movement. Like, he's always engaging with something new. He's always coming up with cool new ideas and sharing them with us. And I really, really love it. And I love... I love that he has that passion and that joy for just about everything he experiences in the world. But just sometimes it's too much for me, right? And thankfully me and his mom, because we had John so young, really lucked out that we were able to raise him in a kind of almost super progressive way. So we're, we're really, really, really like honest with John. So like, there are days where I'll be like, Hey buddy, that's really cool. And I really like that you love it. But you know, daddy just doesn't have the energy to be as excited as you do about everything. Every day, like a couple times a day, I'll, I'll ramp up and meet him. But by the end of the day, I have to be honest with him that I just, I can't do it. And it breaks my heart to have to do that. And thankfully he's, he's 10 now, which is insane. I'm still kind of struggling with that, <laughs> but he's 10 now and he's, he's starting to kind of understand that, but he's also starting to almost his, his enthusiasm is tempered into the specific things he's passionate about now. Mm-hmm. So like one of those things is video games. He's recently no more than say five months now has really been into video games because they they engage him and they, they present him with puzzles and he has to problem solve. And while they're frustrating when he can't do it, he's already starting to recognize that kind of almost like endorphin rush you get from overcoming that challenge. So you're watching um, him struggle through Portal while you laugh <laughs> maniacally? <laughs> Not yet. That comes later. All right, all right. But yeah, so we do now have those, like once a weekend, he'll be like, hey, do you want to come play Switch with me? And we'll play Mario or we'll play it's honestly, it's Mario or his Yoshi game. He's super into Mario right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, he'll be like, Hey, do you want to come play Mario with me? So we'll play together for even if it's 30, 35 minutes. So I recognize the kind of feeling you get when you, you finally have that moment where you can truly have a bondable moment with your child. Like it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like, either of you is putting on a show or asking for, it doesn't feel like anybody's compromising mm-hmm. in order to enjoy that time together. So I understand that aspect of it, but yeah, right. Like John kind of loves everything, like video games, books, he plays dolls, he plays with cars. He loves science experiments. We're just really fortunate. We have a super kind of outgoing kid.
0: Holy cool. sounds. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot
1: of opportunity there to find common ground. Yeah. And part of that is, we lucked out because my parent, I'm super lucky. I'm so, so, so so lucky. I have such an incredible like family support system and growing up the way we did, my parents were always super supportive of whenever we got the, the opportunity to try new things or do new things. Mm-hmm. So we've always grown up with that mentality, but even more so my parents try their best to not get involved in our parenting at all. So they always are there. They're always there to support us and be like, Hey. If this is how you're thinking about doing it, that's not a super great way. So maybe try this. But as far as like how we raised our kids, they've never, they've never even accidentally kind of enforced those kind of like shitty societal standards on our kids. Mm -hmm. So it, John was this incredible (laughs) conflux of incredible coincidences that led to having that ability to like John, John will go out and wear pink. He doesn't give a shit. Like if he thinks a dress is cute, he would wear a dress. And he's, he's at the age now where he recognizes like he's, he's going to get picked on for it. That sucks. So, right. He's, he's at the age where he's informed enough to decide like, Hey, do I want to wear this to school for example, and risk that? Or do I want to just kind of hang out in the house in it? Mm-hmm. But I, I totally understand. Cause like, I see my siblings struggle with it a lot more that they were already adults when they had kids and they already had all these kind of ideas in their head. Yeah. So, and that was almost like, that was the like light bulb moment for me was like, I watched one of my sister's kids just, they got into a fight about something like that. Like, I think he wanted a pink shirt or something and they had kind of gotten into a little fight about it. And that was the like, holy shit, I need to kind of make sure we do our best to avoid that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't know how I tangent it so bad. <laughs> this is just This is also another really like, this is a really passionate subject for me. I think it's super important. Fuck societal gender roles. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Trans people are people, respect their genders. JFK, or not JFK. Wow, I've been watching too much Clone High. JK Rowling <laughs> is a turf, so fuck her. <laughs> but Harry Potter is still good. Yeah. That's my summary of all the shit I just talked about I wasn't supposed to. But no, it's really awesome that you got to have that moment with your daughters because I recognize the that almost like unparalleled joy you get from having a truly bondable moment. Um, And I imagine it's it's even more so when you have those struggles where your kids don't have a lot of the same passions as you do or the same hobbies. Yeah, well, you know,
0: I wasn't able to really weasel Star Wars into any of their likes. My youngest daughter, maybe a little bit, you know, Liam was never really interested in Star Wars. Elliot's not really. Winnie is a little bit. But Winnie's also the kind of kid that, like, wants everyone to be happy. So she's the kind of kid that will like, let's watch Star Wars because she knows that I like it. I think she's like me that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of these kids has to be a little bit like me. They can't all be like their mom.
1: (laughs) Not that she's not a lovely person, but it's like... (laughs) Yeah, I get it though, right? Like, I kind of feel the same way about Kane. Like, Danielle in the same way as... John's mom is much more like extroverted than I am and has those like singular passions she gets super enthusiastic about. And I love Jonathan to the ends of the earth. I would never fault my child. And if Kane is the same way, it'll be super cool that the brothers will get along so well. But it would also be kind of nice if he had a little bit of me, so we could (laughs) I wouldn't have to have waited or struggled so hard to find common ground. Yeah. Like he's worth every second of effort. But it would almost, it would be nice to not always have to put in effort to find common ground with my kid. Oh yeah, totally. Although as much
0: as I like I want them to be like me or I want to find common ground or you know, we all look to find things in our kids whether it's physically or personality-wise that remind us that we see ourselves in them. I kind of hope that none of my kids are particularly introverted cuz we don't live in a society where that's typically Looked upon with great understanding, yeah, that's that's very true. You know, um, as an introvert myself, yeah, yeah I, I get it. It's like the the best way I've ever seen it described is like extroverts recharge their energy by being with people. Introverts recharge their energy by being without people or at least without people that they don't choose to be with. Yeah. so um, I don't know. I think and I see it in Elliot where she's struggling because she doesn't she feels like she doesn't have a lot of friends. I would argue she does. But she probably doesn't have a lot of friends compared to, you know, quote unquote, the popular girls at school. Because Elliot's one of those people who's struggling with her weight. And the older she gets at school, the more that becomes a problem. Yeah. We don't give a shit about it. We're very potty positive. Renee and I are both people that have struggled with our weight our entire lives. We come from families where people struggle with their weight. Unfortunately... We have three kids. Two of them don't seem to have this struggle with their weight. Elliot has a lot of struggle with her weight. She's been podgy her whole life, ever since she started gaining weight as a baby. She when she was born, she was sort of undernourished because we didn't realize things about, you know, her being breastfed. You know, Renee unfortunately just didn't make enough to sustain a child. We didn't know that at the time, so Elliot was kind of starving. But once so we switched to formula, she started to, you know, gain weight a lot. And doctors were all like, oh, well, it's because you're giving her soy formula because she had a milk allergy and it's got a lot of sugar in it. But, you know, we feed our, our kids for the most part. We feed them all, girls especially, the exact same. They eat the same meals. They have more or less the same amount of exercise. You know, their lives are very similar. Liam, at this point, he lives a different life. But the girls are living the same life for the most part. They go to, you know, daycare together they go to school, they have recess, we pack them the same lunches for the most part like Winifred is very thin and Elliot is is not. And she's struggling with that, but so I hope that she personality-wise doesn't sort of become more introverted because she's afraid of being around people or she's judging herself like I don't know. This this ep, this episode of talking about this um electronica rap album has turned into a lot of us <laughs> waxing wise about being parents. And yeah, right a, yeah,
1: like this this dance album really got out of hand.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I'm just going to sort of hard cut, <laughs> smash cut, as my friend Brandon likes to say, smash cut, you know, to us talking about the album again. I like yeah. this album. I'm, I'm going to kind of offer my closing comments because I don't. I, we talked about not going song by song. I would say high points for this album for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thundercloud's Mountain Mountains, I would say, are high points for me. I like It's Time but I think I like it's time because it feels more like an old zero seven song a little bit. It's more of a Sia
1: song. I would say genius is good. Yeah. So kind of closing thoughts we'll say for me was that like genius was my high point for sure. I really also enjoyed audio. I liked no new friends. Um, no new friends almost had this like Lizzo style uptempo beat to it. I really dug. I thought it was just a really fun track. Um, Let's just taking a minute point- to, uh,
0: fist pump for Lizzo. Yeah, right. <laughs> the thick women in my life and family, like, thanks, Lizzo. You know, this is the shit.
1: Lizzo's a hero.
0: <laughs> Lizzo, having a daughter that's struggling with her weight, Lizzo coming out, like, fuck yes, Lizzo, hundred <laughs> percent. Lizzo, thank you. Thanks for um, being a voice for all the yeah, thick ladies man, out there.
1: Lizzo, keep keep doing you. It's good fucking shit. You're <laughs> a goddamn hero. <laughs> yeah. So my low point was it's time. I think it's just not the right sound for me. I think it just, it dragged on a bit much. Like that was the one where I said, where you said it sounds like a very Sia track. I thought it was a bit too Sia heavy. So that's at least in line. Yeah. and That's the one where I'd said like the notes just feel like they go on just a little too long sometimes. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I think I've really enjoyed the album. I think the, the little Wayne remix of genius. Well, not a whole lot different was the, was a taste of a rap inspired kind of, Spin on the sound of this album, and that's that's what I want their next album to be. Honestly, I would love a heavier rap influence, Um, a little bit more labyrinth in it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of labyrinth. I'll be honest with that. More labyrinth, more of that. Say mid two thousands to around two thousand ten, like club rap. I think would be a really really good addition to the way these out this album is produced. I wouldn't want like I'm not talking. You know, '90s grime rap because that's uh. that's a whole different ball game. But I think Little Wayne did add a fun aspect to it. I think if they were to produce more, having that sort of influence in it would be a good thing. As for what's that song and word?
0: Singing,
1: Mine was actually mountains. <laughs> oh, not okay. not because the sound of the track itself is all that different, but. Mountains has such a slow, like, quiet start that more than once listening to this album, I genuinely checked to see if my play... Like, if Spotify was still working or my headphones were still plugged in because it just... I don't know. It's just something... Every single time I hit that song, that, like, really quiet intro just threw me out. And it. it's not a bad thing. I think it's a really good... I think it fits the song itself very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think the song as a whole... Is it's not like some albums we listen to where it's you hit a dead stop and it just changes, mm-hmm. like you said. It's not a country song in the middle of a rap album, but it just every single time I hit the beginning of that track, it it just kind of stopped me for a second. And I was like, oh shit, yeah, right. Mountains is just a much slower starting track, and I don't know. I I don't have one. I
0: don't think there's enough songs. I don't think there's enough variety in, in the album. And although there's ten songs, it's only thirty minutes. Nothing really kicks me out of it. It's time, maybe, but it's time also feels like just a, a fine closing song. Like it, it's not placed funny where it kicks you out of the floor of the album. It's
1: just a closing song. Same way, it's part of why I didn't like it's time too, because I found it's time had a really kind of slow intro to it, where you said that was the kind of the closest thing to a song bridge you kind of had. But yeah, overall impression, I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. It's a really, it's a really new. I wanted to say it's an experimental sound, but I don't think it is. I think it's just a new sound to me. It's just a type of music I've never really encountered before. But I I really enjoyed my first time listening to it. I'm really impressed by Sia's ability as I always am. I found a new artist I'm for sure gonna be following, Labyrinth. And nice. honestly, like Diplo if Diplo was the main producer on this album, I'll probably keep an eye out for stuff produced by Diplo. Like it's a really it's a really solid product. I think all around it's just it's well it's just really refined. Nice. Well we're gonna wrap up. Um, I would
0: say, you know, I'm just trying to think of like other ways that we can sort of like rank these albums in some way or another. And I've been thinking like we listen to it all the way through and for recommending these albums, because for the most part, you and I always find things we like about albums as much as we sometimes just be like, look, this didn't work for me. We've never gone on to be like I hated it or this is a waste of time and stuff. But would you say of that the experience of listening to this album all the way through, if we were going to recommend it to our listeners, is it worth listening to all the way through more than once, or are we only li- or did you only listen to it through all, all the way because okay. that's so what we're doing
1: here? Me personally, this album was one I I listened to it through once or twice pretty contently after that it was honestly it was solely a a responsibility thing my my say, three fourth fifth listens to it were solely because i wanted to make sure i kind of knew what was going on for this podcast that first that yeah. first listen through fun experiment second listen through eh. and after that it was like okay i'm gonna do it but i really wish there were a couple tracks i could skip honestly
0: for me, it's largely the same. I never count the first full listen-through at all. I think the first one is just experiencing the album for the first time. It's impossible to say, after one listen-through to a grouping of songs, what ones you want to skip, what ones you like, if or if you even remember any of them. So I would say, yeah, it's, it's worth a couple, but I would say, as an entire package, it's not worth putting on and listening to all the way through. As much as at the beginning, I can say you can put this on and kind of get any and you listen to the whole thing by the time you get to where you're going. I would say this there's a few tracks in here that I would pull out and put in a playlist and jam that, but this isn't an album that I'm going to be like front to back. I can listen to any song and enjoy it. So for me, it's it's not worth full listens. Give it a few, try it, find the songs you like, and I would I would guess probably you're going to pull a few out and never listen to the others again. I don't think this is a solid all the way through every time kind of Um, album.
1: Kind of just all our listeners. We, every album we do, whether you've heard it or you haven't, we'd always recommend give it a, like give it a thorough one time all the way through. Listen, because me personally, I'm a big advocate that an entire album can be such an incredibly different experience than you expect listening to select tracks. But where Bryn has talked about before having albums where he's listened to it, say, three, four five times and the sound has become more appealing or has changed. This to me isn't an album that does that. This is an album that I'd say by your second listen through, you're already pretty confident in what you like and what you don't. I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't say push through and keep listening to it, hoping the sound grows on you because it's such a unique, because it's such a unique sound and because it's just kind of the, I guess, the inherent value of dance club music is that it just is what it is. It's not going to change the more you listen to it. It's not going to grow in complexity or depth. You're not going to notice things you didn't the first time. You're going to pretty quickly realize yeah. what works and what doesn't for you. But yeah, go ahead, give it a shot. I think you're going to find a couple of tracks that just, I think there's enough variety in the, say that the tempo and the chords of the tracks that you'll find something you like. But yeah, I agree with Bryn. I don't think this is a, this isn't a five six listen album until you really follow in it this isn't this isn't a get high and listen to pink floyd type album <laughs> which i will say i finally did <laughs> i didn't do it to gorillas which was the one you suggested i do it for but i did do it for pink floyd's what's it called <laughs> the I can't no not the one we I, the I did do dawn? it dark side of the moon that's it dark side of the moon? moon in it and i remember the prison nice i did do it for <laughs> pipers at the gates of dawn and the only track that I truly experienced different was interstellar overdrive. That was a hell of a fucking listen, <laughs> especially with it being 10 minutes long. I bet. But yeah, I did finally, I did finally get high and listen to dark side of the moon and I get it. I, t- I totally get it.
0: Awesome. Well, don't get into it too much because yeah. we got to listen to it at the podcast. Uh, I have, not have you watched that. Moneyball yet?
1: It's literally number two right, on my well, to do
0: list. I'm going to be up your ass about Before that. Before
1: that is, Oh no, where did I put that note? I have all your suggestions ranked in order. One thing to do, and then it's going to be Moneyball, (laughs) and then it's going to be Zero Seven. (laughs) 7
0: Okay, well, somewhere in there, throw a... That's what it is. That's what my next one is. That's that's more of a... Watch Moneyball first. Silicon Valley six seasons of television. Moneyball is like like two and a quarter hours of movie. All
1: right, so Moneyball's going...
0: It's their HBO. It's this. There's not like we're not talking like 25 episode seasons or anything here, but it's six seasons of television. So <laughs> I would move Moneyball up one because you can do that in like two and a quarter hours. You're not tucking so in for like quickly. The so week. Moneyball,
1: and I'll do zero seven, and then I'll do Silicon Valley. <laughs> um, but yeah, so nice. Right, closing thoughts. Pleasant album. Give it a shot. It's not going to be the right sound for everybody. Just straight up, it's a good club album.
0: It's a good amalgamation of three people who come from different Yeah, I think worlds that's really what I liked
1: about it is that each each artist involved in this project has a distinct kind of sound to them. And I think they did a good job of joining them all together. But it is at the end of the day, it's still yeah. I don't know, what'd you call it? Clap or <laughs> clap something. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that is. Clap but tone. Yeah, it's like claptone. It's it's going to be for some people and not for others. I'm gonna make you listen to tone sometime. Anyway, let's wrap up. Because yeah, you probably true. have packing to do
0: and I have to put my timesheet yeah, in for my job <laughs> and it's eleven o'clock at night. So, <laughs> so let's wrap up. Thanks for listening. That's LSD. You as well. Steven, have a great night and have a yeah, good trip. Have you. a safe trip back to so Ontario. <laughs> All
1: right. See you everybody. Yeah, be fine.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth Podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life2Labyrinth.